Amazon tiene todo lo que necesitas para tu dormitorio, desde productos esenciales hasta ropa y decoración e incluso ropa de cama para... Si, 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 si estás activas. Y si estás regulares también. Ahorra en todo para la universidad en Amazon. Help your four-year-old find joy in learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Just uh, for those of you who are on our Facebook group, you'll notice that we didn't play the game this week. Now that will be because the episode this week is a follow-on from last week. So, you know, if you hadn't guessed that, the fact that he said part one, this is part two. So part two, we're covering... Similar to last week, we're covering the Wars of the Roses. We'll be covering from around 1460, 1461 onwards. And we'll be covering the change of hands of the throne. So I'm not going to give too much away because, you know, then what's the point in listening to the rest of the episode? So last week we covered a bit of Henry VI. We realised that he was useless and that his wife was pretty much in control. Now, nowadays, that's that's pretty common. I would say my wife wears the trousers in my relationship. But in 14, 1400s, 15th century Britain, that was not common and that was not accepted. So, going into 1461, although the Duke of York has been removed from any opposition, his allies are still there. And they are still very, very important. And in 1461, Henry VI is barely clinging on to power in England. He's, you know, he's losing his grip completely. Things are made worse by York's son, Edward, Earl of March. Remember the Duke of York? He had a he had a son. His son was Edward. And Edward, three months later, after three months after York's death decides that he is the next best man for the job the king's useless his father should have been king he's the next man he should be king of england and he's going to take advantage of the weak king and he sets his troops up at the battle a battle called towton battle of towton now this was recorded as the bloodiest battle on english soil Ever. So the Battle of Talton, there was around 60,000 men that fought at this battle. And in 10 hours, almost half of the men were killed. The estimates are around 28,000 people died on that battlefield. It was fought in on a snowy battlefield as well. It was said 
that a couple of days later, once the snow had melted, that when the snow melted and and the water seeped down down the hill, that it was red. The snow was red. The the water was red with blood. And this was a couple of days after the battle. So, you know, you're talking about a really, really bloody battle, which Edward was victorious. The king and his son and his wife fled to Scotland. And although they're still alive, Edward is now king of England. And the man who helped him get there is a man named Richard Neville, who we covered in the last episode, the Earl of Warwick. So Warwick has now earned himself the nickname which he is famous for, which is the Kingmaker. And he has made Edward King of England. Edward is crowned uh, the 12th Plantagenet King, and he is Edward IV now. So Edward's now King of England, but he's inherited a pretty shit country at this time. There's all these battles going on there's a massive family feud he's now usurped the king of england and he's now really he's really got a fight to get the country back on his side he's 18 years old he's described as very young very ambitious very attractive not sure how relevant that is but he is described as very attractive and you know he is he is now a king that England has needed for the last 15 years. A king who can take control of a situation. But he has to do it diplomatically. He can't do it by force. Because England is torn apart at the moment. It's it's not in a stable situation. And he has to be the one that brings stability back to the country. The first way he does this is to basically to crush any rebels that are still around anyone who really opposes him one of the main troublemakers lives in Northumberland Castle which for those of you that don't know Northumberland is right up the northeast coast of England nearly borders with Scotland and it's a man named Ralph Percy he is a very very strong supporter of Henry VI and he is probably the biggest threat at the moment to Edward's reign and he sends the kingmaker north so Warwick goes north to Northumberland and the following year in 1462 he captures Percy at his castle so they siege the castle first when they break in he captures him and he's captured and he's asked what do you you know who do you side with will you side with king edward or do you still support henry and he re- you know he replies no i support henry i still support henry technically this is now treason the king he's not supporting the king of england so he should be killed you know he should be beheaded but because Edward is trying to be a diplomatic king, he offers him a bargain. This bargain, essentially, is if you support me, you can keep your lands, you can keep your castle, you can keep your money. If you don't support me, I'm going to chop your head off. 
really to to anyone else that's not really a choice is it he gets captured he sticks to his guns and then when he's actually faced with the the acts of of the executioner he turns around and says no actually I'll support you and this is Edward's plan you know his plan is to turn his enemies into allies and you know this this works England does calm down there aren't so much so many wars going on there's not so many battles going on and England's starting to become a nice a nicer place to actually live you know there's not so much turmoil as there was in the previous six years so Warwick is still a very very important man and with the country calming down Warwick takes advantage of this and opens a treasury and money starts to go into it and the country financially starts to recover you know bearing in mind this is a country that was financially bankrupt under the previous king it's now starting to make a bit of money so Warwick is creating a bit of a name for himself if he hadn't done already the only problem is Edward is left without a wife and for a young king you know he needs a wife and he needs an heir and a wife is also an opportunity for a strong alliance and this is where Warwick basically not necessarily takes advantage but definitely uses his influence of the king to try and pick the perfect partner and he has meetings with envoys from France from Louis XI to organize the marriage between the king of England and the princess of France her name is Bona of Savoy so this alliance can actually create the perfect opportunity for peace between England and France a peace that hasn't existed for over a hundred years and Warwick is the man that's pulling the strings Warwick is the man who has met up with the French envoys and he is the man who is basically choosing the bride for the king in fact Warwick has that much power that one of the men he meets in France actually writes down England has two rulers one is called Warwick the other I can't remember so that just shows really how it can be perceived that Warwick is not necessarily the best man for Edward and he's definitely pushing the boundaries of what he can control when he isn't the king and in September 1464 Warwick goes to the king at Reading Abbey to announce what he has done you know to announce that the king will marry the princess of France and it's all thanks to him and it's all thanks to him that this alliance and this bloodshed between France is going to stop and there's a new alliance being built problem is before anybody gets a chance to speak Edward makes an announcement in front of all of the nobility of England and declares that he is already married to a lady named Elizabeth Woodville so the Woodville family are minor nobles they're not you know, they're not the powerhouses they are minor nobles and this is not only a smack in the face to Warwick it's almost unheard of in 
English history or English society at this time for a king to marry a lower noble. To make it worse for Warwick, he actually got married five months prior to this meeting in the Abbey, which means whilst Warwick was in France negotiating the marriage between the king and the princess, he was already married and Warwick didn't know. So he's made Warwick look like an absolute fool in front of the French and in front of the nobles of England as well. In May 1465, Elizabeth Woodville is crowned King of England and at her coronation, all of the major nobles in England attend except for one and that is the Earl of Warwick. He refuses to attend the coronation of the Queen and now he's put himself right on Edward's radar. It's not only Warwick, however, who dislikes the new queen. Most of the nobles in the country don't like her. And that is because her family fought with Henry VI at Towton. They fought alongside and against him. They fought against Edward IV. So what he's trying to do with this marriage is trying to create a better England he's trying to unify England whereas a lot of the nobles still see her and her family as enemies of the king because they're still really aligned to Henry you know the Woodville family are like I said they're minor nobles but they're very very ambitious and they will do anything to get themselves on top and they are also a very very big family although they're not as powerful as many they are a big family in modern days you know she's she's been divorced already you know she's she's basically a chav for all intents and purposes you know he could have had a princess and he's married a chav three months after the coronation edward probably gets the best wedding present he's ever had and that is Henry VI. Henry VI has decided to wander south a little bit too far, left Scotland, and has actually been captured in the north of England and brought to the Tower of London. So now, really, the only man who can who can challenge him, he's got locked away. He's no longer hiding. He can't create his army. He can't do anything. He's locked up in the Tower of London. But Edward won't kill him. He won't he won't do it. He's still trying to create this uh, this view that he is a nice king and he is trying to appease everybody and he's trying to turn his enemies into friends and allies and he refuses to kill him. He, he puts him up in the, the royal suite, he makes sure he's well fed, he's got wine, he even lets him have visitors to the tower. You know, he really looks after Henry the Sixth when really if he'd have just just got him out of the way, there really wouldn't have been any need for the Wars of the Roses to carry on. Edward knows that he's pissed off Warwick, and this is where he basically goes all out to try and get him back on side, and he gives him 
certain lands he gives him gold and silver from those lands uh you know he he even gives him the biggest and best castle in england probably the most imposing or the most powerful castle in england and that is dover castle on the coast near france so he gives all of this to warwick to try and bring him back on side at the end of the day he knows he's snubbed him he knows he's annoyed him but he also knows that warwick is a very very powerful ally and someone that he really can't keep you know in the dark for too long what warwick really wants is to be back at the king's side he wants to be the right hand man that he's always been he wants to be the man that the king needs the king turns to when he's in trouble and the problem is is warwick now is not the right man for that job when you're looking at trying to take over a a country and dethrone a king Warwick is reckless, he's ruthless, and he's dangerous. He's the exact man you want at your side. But when you're trying to create a stable country and to allow the country to flourish and prosper, he's not the right man for the job. And as far as Edward is concerned, the only family for that job are the Woodvilles because they are lower nobility, although obviously now... Now they're really they're not, but because they they come from a lower nobility, they're closer to the average person on the street, and they know a little bit more about it. And they are also were allied to the enemy, so they are the perfect people, the perfect family to bring England back together. At least this is what Edward thinks. Anyway, the problem is Warwick doesn't like them and he pretty much will not be a part of it as long as the Woodvilles exist it's very much the it's me or them situation as far as Warwick's concerned so in 1467 Edward sends Warwick off to France to meet the king of France and he is sent to negotiate for a very lucrative trade deal now this is what Warwick thinks is happening, whereas in reality, all that's happened is he's just getting him out of the way. And whilst he's out of the way, Edward is going to do something that completely humiliates Warwick. So what Edward does is, whilst Warwick is away in France, he organises a massive tournament, like a knight's tournament. you probably seen them on game of thrones with the jousting and the knights fighting and the competitions and things like that he organizes this massive event and uh, the main reason for this tournament is to align england with the uh, a noble family or a noble area in france which is known as burgundy or at the time the, the family there are called the burgundians and they are the good allies with the Woodville family. The problem with it is they're also along with England the sworn enemy of Louis XI and France. Now obviously Warwick being of England is currently sat down with the King of France doing this trade deal where the King of England is entertaining the 
enemy of France or the the direct enemy of France. Now, Burgundy is a, a an area in France in the north uh, northeast of France, and the the Duke of Burgundy is is very famous. There's a lot of things that have happened throughout history, which are you know, the Duke of Burgundy is a very good story to go through at a different time. Um, if you are interested in finding out about that, you know, the rivalry between the Burgundians and the French, then, you know, have a look at that. But like I said, in reality, what they've just done, once the, the French king realises what's going on, and Warwick, you know, he's he's been put in a very awkward position here yet again. So Warwick has now realised, basically, that the king doesn't need him. He's no longer the right-hand man of the king. He's no longer the important influence that the king needs. And he is in a situation where, really, he should just disappear quietly and go off into the night and, you know, lick his wounds. But he's not that type of a bloke. You know, he's not that type of a man. He's, He's more thoughtful than that. And he does come up with a plan... And the plan that he has is to marry his daughter to the king's younger brother. And the reason for this is at the time, Edward does not have a son. And therefore, Edward, if he was to die, the crown would then go to Edward's younger brother, which would then put Warwick, the father-in-law of the Queen of England. So he's thinking long-term. He's you know He's, he's really not got the influence with Edward maybe if things go his way he can have influence with the next king of England it's a nice plan but Edward doesn't agree and he says nope that's not happening I don't agree with that my brother if he is to marry it's going to be for a political reason that will help strengthen the crown he's not marrying your daughter fuck off basically so now Warwick's in an even worse situation than he was before so two years later, we flip forward to two years from the tournament, and Warwick has he's found uh, an unlikely thing to take advantage of. Now, obviously, he's completely out of favour with the king right now. The king's not interested in him. It doesn't want really anything to do with him, and suddenly in the north of England in 1469 there are riots to do with tax and they believe the the poorer people in the country they believe that the Woodville family are taking money from the tax payers they're taking too much money and they're skimming it off and not giving it to the king so they riot and the one man who is there to let's say pour petrol <laughs> over the fire is Richard Neville, Duke of Warwick. These riots in the north of England, they're actually led by a man who is known as Robin of Reedsdale. Now, we actually don't know a huge amount about him, but Reedsdale does demand that the Queen's family, uh, the Woodvilles, are removed from power in England and have no no say over the taxes money because this is what this riot's all about it's about the tax and if the Woodvilles don't have power over that then the riots would stop so now these riots are kicking off the country is no longer at peace and the one man 
in Edward's reign who deals with this stuff very very well is Warwick and he's now in a situation where apparent according to text apparently 60,000 men are under the banner of this Robin of Reedsdale which nobody knows who he is and the king you know he the one man who he wants to actually help him out now and he's not there so the king writes a letter to Warwick and what he gets in reply is nothing he gets silence Warwick doesn't reply to the letter and to make matters worse what Warwick has actually done is he has travelled to Calais in France with the king's younger brother Clarence and actually married his daughter to the king's younger brother so not only has he gone against what the king said he's ignoring him as well so he's really you know he's really put himself in in a bad situation and he's put himself as a direct challenge to the king so the king's obviously not happy so he writes another letter and says to warwick that you are to meet me in nottingham now for those of you that don't know the map of the uk nottingham is in the midlands it's about halfway up of england so he's left london he's traveled to nottingham he's also halfway to york which is where these riots are happening and warwick again doesn't arrive in nottingham in fact what he actually does is he writes a letter now this is what it's called an open letter so it's a letter that basically anybody anybody can read and he incites the violence so he incites an army to meet him at canterbury in kent and they do you know he gets gets a, a fair few men following him that they, they blame the woodvilles for all what's happened and he when he arrives in kent he gathers his army and he marches towards nottingham towards london and then towards nottingham and what he's doing is he's actually putting the king in a very difficult position because the king has the rebels to deal with in the north and he now has warwick to deal with in the south so he's he's caught between two walls basically now warwick's army actually meet up with the king on july the 26th and it's not really a battle um Warwick and his army absolutely destroy the king and his army and they take the king prisoner so it looks like you know Warwick's taken this punt taken advantage of what's going on in the north to assert his dominance and to you know make his point basically but what we now know is that almost 100% that Robin of Reedsdale is actually a man named Sir John Conyers and he is one of Warwick's closest allies so it's almost like Warwick's orchestrated the entire event and forced the king's army out of London to deal with the rebellion and then taken he's not he's not taken a punt on this he he's planned every single step of the way to remove the king from power so Warwick's now got the king locked up and the problem with that is if you have a king in prison you need to make sure that you're either you've got a you've got an end game you've got to have an end game you need to either kill the king 
or replace the king. So you can leave him as a prisoner and leave him to rot, or you kill him and replace him with, you know, you can replace him with yourself. Obviously, Warwick's the one who's who's won the army, so he can usurp the throne, or he can replace him with Clarence. It's you know he's he's in this option where he really what he needs to do is take out the king, but he won't. He can't do it. He can't bring himself to kill the king, and he doesn't. You know, he leaves the king in prison, and he takes out his frustration on the Woodville family, and he goes through quite a few of them, hanging them, beheading them, um, a lot of them without trial. The queen's father, uh, he was executed without a trial. So there's a lot of a lot of things that were happening that he was taking his frustration out on this family. And the problem you have is without a king, bearing in mind the turmoil that was going on while Henry VI was in charge, Edward has brought peace to this country. He's brought a stability back into the country that hasn't had it for many, many years. Now he's in prison, they don't have this stability anymore. They don't have this, you know, this one man who can stop the riots, who can stop this and stop the nobles fighting each other so it escalates very very quickly back to you know the unrest and the uneasy England that people had just gotten over so Warwick you know he's trying to he's trying to put a lid on it he's trying to calm people down and he goes into parliament and he looks for the backing of the other nobles and they basically tell him to piss off you know as far as they're concerned he's the reason that England has gone back into this state. He's the one who arrested the king or imprisoned the king with no coherent plan to do anything afterwards. And they basically say, no, we're not we're not interested in helping you out. We're not going to stick behind you. So less than a month later, he is basically forced to walk into that prison room, into that cell, and basically beg the king's forgiveness and put him back on the throne because he's got no plan of what to do and it really does go to show why the king was sidelining Warwick in the first place clearly Warwick is very good as a military leader you know he captured the king in less than a day and you know he's planned and orchestrated all these riots but as a politician and actually being able to deal with things politically he's pretty crap so, you know, you can understand why the king started to sideline him. So, now you're in a situation where Warwick's gone there with his tail between his legs. But knowing the king is in this uh, appeasement mood, which he is with his enemies, you know, he's still under this policy of trying to make your enemies your allies. He actually forgives Warwick and he forgives his brother and they're allowed to carry on living and which when you think about medieval times and you think about this era in history you always see it as a very bloody era and a very um yeah bloody i can't think of another word to go with it but you aren't you, you see it as that type of a time in history where people are hung and beheaded and things like that and you know very game of thrones ish and that's not how it is you know Edwards forgives his enemies and allows them to to live but obviously he does know 
in the back of his mind that Warwick and his brother are very, very dangerous people. Things are made worse for Warwick and his and uh, the king's brother in March 1470 when rebellion breaks out in Lincolnshire. The king is forced to send his army north and he crushes the rebellion in a town just outside Peterborough. And the battlefield is known as Loosecoat Field. And the reason it's known as Loosecoat Field is as the rebels were running away they started to take their coats and jackets and armour off and throw them onto the floor so they couldn't be identified when if they ever got caught and this is the reason that it's got that name however when Edward's men are searching the bodies they find in the leader of the rebellion they find in his helmet a letter that implicates Warwick and Clarence in this rebellion so again he's forgiven them once but yet now there's evidence to suggest that really he shouldn't have been as nice as he was and he shouldn't have forgiven them in the first place Warwick now knows that you know he's he's screwed up big time and he also knows that a second act of treason he got away with the first one the second time he's he's definitely not going to get away with it so him and Clarence board a boat and they go to France and they live in exile he's left with two options basically go big or go home you know although really it's go big and go home or stay where you are so <laughs> his options are not very good he either lives out his life in exile in France with his allies where he's pretty safe or he comes back to England and removes the king completely you might be thinking well you know it's all well and good him wanting you know really we we can tell by his the way he is that he's not gonna live out peacefully in France but where's he gonna find an army where's he gonna find the people to challenge the king he needs to find someone who hates him just as much as he does and funnily enough there is one person and if you listen to the previous episode you will know who this one person who is living in France is and that is Margaret of Anjou and for those of you who didn't listen to the previous episode just to give you a little bit of a a clearance on it that is Henry VI's wife now Henry VI was captured 10 years ago but is still in prison he is not dead and his wife is living in France in exile so Warwick makes this alliance with Margaret of Anjou so Warwick arrives in the south of England with a very small but very fast and very effective army and he sweeps up the country to Doncaster where the king is now as the king's surrounded he's left with two options he can either stand and fight but he's outnumbered and outmanned and he's you know probably not going to win that fight or he can flee and you know run away and that's what he does he he runs away and he he moves to Flanders which is north of France which is uh, an area that was under the Burgundians at the time so he's he's with allies but he is safe 
but he's had to flee that quick he's left his wife and Elizabeth Woodville who is pregnant is now in a well she's stuck really she's stuck in London and she has to get what's a medieval sanctuary so she has to live in Westminster Abbey because it's a holy place and you can you have sanctuary in those places so it was almost like if you live in there then you can't be attacked by the army because it's holy and it's it's safe so that's that was where she was and she was sort of safe there but in October of 1470 Warwick releases Henry VI from the Tower of London and he's reinstated as King of England obviously as we know from the previous episode Henry VI does not fare well as King of England and in March 1471 uh, Edward has come back he comes back to York and he claims that he only wants to be renamed Duke of York but let's be honest no one's really buying that they all know he wants the crown back so Edward gathers an army and he marches on London and the day he arrives in London is the day that the king of England Henry VI decides to do a parade almost and walk through the streets of London just to gather a bit of support and get a crowd around him and people seeing who the king is and this is not a good idea because as we know Henry is not a good king he's a bit delusional he's very, he's known as the mad king and you know he he just looks like a senile old man walking through the streets of London and then arrives Edward you know big burly looks like a king acts like a king and you know rallies a lot more support than this delusional old man so really Henry marching through the streets was not not a good idea and it just proved the point to the people that Edward is the better choice for king and you know Henry goes back to his palace in Lambeth which is south of the river and Edward goes to St Paul's Cathedral goes to the cathedral uh, just basically does, has a little prayer I'm not really sure what he's praying about I think it's mainly just the fact that he arrived there safely and he then goes to Lambeth Palace and recaptures Henry and puts him in the tower again so you know just absolute crazy you almost can't imagine the way things are at this time in England it's just so weird that you know one king is replaced by another one and then he's arrested and then he's reinstated 10 years later and then he's arrested a couple of months later and put back in prison so it's a very crazy time in England and Edward has taken advantage of it again he's taken advantage of a weak king for the second time Edward's next job obviously is to go and save his wife so he he goes to Westminster and he releases his wife and he gets there and he finds out that she's actually had a son so this man this you know he, he wasn't born to be king he took the throne and he's now reinstated as king of England he has his wife at his side and he now has an heir to the throne so he is now basically no one can argue with him he is 
100% the King of England again. Obviously now Edward has learnt his lesson, let's say, about how lenient he needs to be with his enemies. He's realised that, you know, you can be lenient to an extent, but really to secure your throne, you need to be cutthroat and you need to be brutal. And he's decided that he's going to take his army north and he's going to find Warwick and he's going to kill him. There's no two ways about it. That man is not leaving that battlefield. He doesn't get that far north. He gets to Barnet on April the 14th, 1471. And that's where the two armies meet. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off on a tangent here because, you know, I'm sure most of you who've listened to this have listened to the Titanic episode and, and know, obviously, my history and, you know, my dad's influence on me throughout history and with history. Now, one of the things that I will always remember growing up, my dad actually lives in Barnet and he took me to a medieval reenactment of the Battle of Barnet and it's something that I've always remembered as a kid. So, you know, this battle is something I've always, you know, I've always known about and it's uh it's a battle where the king's army has 12,000 men and they come up against Warwick's army of 15,000 men. You know, although the king's outnumbered, it's it's not a huge a huge amount in you know in the grand scheme of things it's it's a very big bloody battle to make matters worse for Warwick even though he he high, holds the higher number there's quite a lot of fog on this day it's very low and very dense and his soldiers actually start attacking each other so you know he really loses quite a lot of men to his own men and Edward takes full advantage of this and sees what's happening and you know he knows that really only one of them's leaving that battlefield it's either going to be edward as king of england or warwick is going to prevail and then henry will probably be reinstated for a third time when warwick starts to see the battle is losing or that he's going to lose he flees the battlefield um but he's hunted down by edward's men and butchered on the field or just off the field because he did flee a little bit but you know Warwick does not leave that battlefield alive and it is Edward who remains King of England Edward has Warwick brought back to London and displayed at St Paul's Cathedral and he's actually displayed naked um, I think they put like a, like a loincloth over his, his privates but he's displayed in all his bloody glory for anyone to come in and have a look and he's this is Edward basically saying look I'm not going to forgive people anymore this is this is it I am king and if it means I have to get my hands dirty to stay king then I'm going to be doing that there's going to be no more forgiveness and on May the 21st so less than a month after his victory at Barnet um, King Henry dies. You can't see me do it, but I am doing the quotation marks. Uh, dies in his in his room. Um, the official diagnosis is he died of basically depression and melancholy. Um, but you know, no one no one believes that. We all we all know really that 
Edward knew if he allows Henry to live then there's always going to be that challenge to the throne so he doesn't allow him to live basically this is what I mean we don't know we don't know that Edward did this but you know you'd be pretty stupid to believe that he didn't so you know that's that's where the end of Henry the sixth is as well so that's part two of the war of the roses and you know for those of you that that have listened and, and are enjoying this this uh, saga that we're covering at the moment in British history you'll need to get yourselves over to Patreon for the next two episodes so they will be coming out uh, next week and the week after they will be going on to Patreon and they will be parts three and parts four so for those of you that are interested in that that will cover Richard III which will be next week's episode and Henry Tudor will be the week after and Henry Tudor being Henry the Seventh, not Henry the Eighth, that you probably will know. Um, so the reason for that, guys, is we are still going to try and get some episodes out onto onto the free shows for you guys. Um, but we're going to trial it. Um, I have a, a a friend who does podcasts as well, which I'm sure some of you guys will know. We've done a few together, and that is Lee from Realm of the Supernatural. So we do he's given me this idea of doing sort of half of a story like a big saga like this and and then putting the other half onto patreon so for people who do want to listen to the extra and and are happy to pay for that then you know get yourselves on there if not there will be free episodes coming out as well so you know we we always like to keep our fans listening so we're always going to be doing something um i will say though for all of you guys that are listening it is currently my kids' school summer holidays, so we do have a lot of family things that are going on at the moment. So if there is ever a time where an episode comes to you a little bit late, that will be the reason, because obviously there are a lot of things going on at the moment at home. So I hope you all have enjoyed that episode. And like I said, if you do want to get yourselves over to Patreon, you can just sign up for a month. I think you can do it... Uh, anything from two dollars upwards um you can sign up for just a month so if you are interested in just listening to these two episodes give it a couple of weeks sign up for a month listen to these two episodes and then you can cancel it so um but that's there for you guys that will be there in the next couple of weeks for you all um also on there i do have um winston churchill uh prior to world war Two, the winston churchill after world war during and after world war Two, will be going up probably after i've done the war of the roses so there will be a lot on there um there is a lot of things going up on there in the next few months so just keep your eyes out for that and yeah that's it really guys you know appreciate your your support i appreciate your messages i appreciate everything you guys do for me so you know especially you guys who who find the time to get onto itunes and and leave me a review um, I really do appreciate that because you know when I read how you guys think of my podcast, it, it does make me feel makes me feel happy knowing that you guys do actually enjoy it and you are enjoying what I've got to what I've got to teach. So you know, please keep doing that. Let me know. You know, if you if you do want to give me any pointers, get yourselves onto Facebook uh, this week in history let me know what's going on let me know how you are and you know just keep me informed guys so 
Thank you very much for listening. And remember, we all have history, so make yours great. Bye-bye. Your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated, like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply.